Well, I want to say welcome back to our series on your verse, and I want to say a special thank you to our former youth pastor, Will, for, <laughs> for his extra help this morning, for calling me old, yes. Uh, Fifteen years ago, they told me, an orthopedic surgeon told me that I was going to have to have my knee replaced. Um, I had 30 years of basketball on it, and it's bone on bone and all that kind of stuff, but they just said, you, you know, just do it whenever it hurts, whenever it hurts so bad you can't stand it. And for 15 years, I've been very blessed and able to be active. And then yesterday, of just simply walking into the church, and my knee went out of place, and, and I'm not sure if that means I'm going to have to have surgery or not, but it does mean I'm hobbling this morning. No, I'm not going to be able to sit here on this stool. You will see me. Will offered to wheel me back and forth in a wheelchair. Yes, he really did. And, uh, but I don't trust his driving. So I'm going uh, I'm, I'm to do this. I'm going to do this my way. Hey, uh, this series has been really fun. We've been uh, talking about your verse and the big idea behind it is finding a verse that is a verse that you can hang on to. Uh, for some of us, it's a life verse. I started off the series sharing mine, which was Jeremiah 29, 13. It says, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. And that was something God burned into me years ago. And, um, and sometimes our verse that we're, that we're really holding on to is, is more of a, a verse for right now. It may be in a season of life. It may be some circumstances you're going through. But God's word can be an anchor. Amen? It can be something that we can hold on to or stand on and something that can just kind of keep us steady. And, and that may be it for you. And like Will said, there's a card in there. We want you to keep that verse and retain it. If you have, if you found your verse and you know which one is yours, if you have not yet uh, put it out on our wall. There's a wall out there that has a place where you can use a Sharpie and write your either the reference or the verse and the reference on there. If you are like Wanda and you're not able to reach the Sharpies, um, if you're one of those short people who sit on curbs and your legs dangle, you, you know, you can... Uh, <laughs> you can... We, we'll help you. We'll, we'll reach that down. We put them up high so the kids wouldn't be messing too much with them, but we'll be happy to help you with that. We do want you to put your verse on there. What we've been doing is each week we've been walking uh, with a, looking at a verse that is one of our staff. We have, we have six of us on staff, and we were looking at what verse is our verse and uh, today, uh, we're going to let you in on Pastor Janet's uh, life verse. It's a beautiful verse. It'll be a verse that will be familiar for a lot of you, and one that um, you will probably have, have either read or claimed for yourself at one time or another. But I think today, I think you'll find we're going to unpack this in a little bit different way than I think you've ever quite imagined. But I'm going to let Pastor Janet tell you her story and why this verse is so important to her. Let's watch the video. Hi, my name is Janet Russell. I'm the executive and administrative pastor. Many years ago, I was in a completely desperate time in my life, and I was crying out to God in a way that I had never done before. God reminded me of his promise with Jeremiah 29 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. When I got married at 18 years of age, I did not pray about who God had prepared in advance to be my husband. Instead, I did what I thought was best. After enduring many years in an abusive marriage, I came to realize why I made the decision to get married at such a young age and not seek God's plan. I was running from people in my life that led me to run right into the arms of someone that was going to continue the abuse. Things continued to get worse, and I didn't know how I was going to survive if I didn't lean into God with every part of my being. So every day, and often multiple times a day, I would pray asking God to help and guide me. 
I asked him to release my kids and I from the current situation however he thought best. Short version, I held tightly to Jeremiah 29:11, and after 25 years of marriage, I filed for a divorce. After raising my kids and continuing to lean into God and holding on to that verse, I began praying that if I was ever to marry again, it could only be to someone that God had already been preparing for me. God would have to bring this man to me, otherwise I was not interested and quite happy being single. Several months later, God did in fact direct a man to me with a dream he laid on this particular man's heart. This man reached out to me and we began to talk. I shared with him the woman of God that I was and what my expectations were. He wrote me a letter and included a purity ring to show me that he wanted to completely respect me and honor God's call in my life. This completely stole my heart and yes, I married this man. You know him as Chuck Russell. Today, I still hold on to that verse that helped me get through such a difficult journey. I want to encourage you to find your life verse if you haven't already. It will truly bring you strength and peace like you've never experienced before. Okay. How many of you have heard of Jeremiah 29 11 before? Um, really interesting how when we talk about that verse, it's just it's very comforting to know that God has plans for our lives, isn't it? Um, I want to look at that verse again today, but I'll, I want to look at it in the context in which it was written and hopefully unpack it in a way that maybe will really help you. Let, let's just, let me do a little survey with you. How many of you would be honest enough to admit there have been times in your life where you've really made a mess of things? Anybody? Yeah. How many of you have been in a mess that really wasn't yours, but it was a mess somebody else created for you? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right. I take back the short people joke. I got it. I got it. I got it. Yeah, yeah. How many of you have found yourself in an incredibly difficult circumstance and it really wasn't anybody's fault? It was just life happening. Anybody ever been there? Well, for all of us, no matter where we are, I want you to know something today. And this is what this is all about. God has his eye on you. Amen? Let's look at the context of Scripture. In Jeremiah chapter, in chapter 29, the, the story behind the verse is the fact that Israel, the people of God, have chosen to go their own way. In spite of God's blessing and in spite of all that God did for them, uh, they decided they could do this better on their own. And so they walked away from God and they chased after other gods. And when they did that, they took themselves out from under the protection of God and then they were taken into captivity. This conquering nation that no one could ever defeat finally found itself um, under King Nebuchadnezzar being taken into Babylon. And in the midst of suffering the consequences of horrible decisions that they had made, God gives them this message of hope. Throw the scripture up on the screen. Here's where we go. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and I will fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. This is our verse for today. Would you read it out loud with me? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then he says, you will call on me and you will pray to me, come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart and I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. 
when I sat down with this this week and uh, was looking at that, uh, there are some things that just jumped out to me that I hope will really let you in just a little bit on the heart of God and what God can do in the midst of whatever circumstance you find yourself in today. You ready? Here's, here's a few thoughts for you that I, I hope will help you. Um, first of all, God doesn't cause our disasters or failures, but he is prepared for them. God doesn't cause our disasters or failures, but, but he is prepared for them. How many of you have a, um, a first aid kit, either at home or in your car? Somebody? Okay. How many of you have a spare tire in your car? How many of you carry jumper cables in your car? Yeah. How many of you have a defibrillator at home? <laughs> okay. Well, I thought that might go a little far. We actually have. Now, the, the question behind the question is, so why do you have them? Are you, are you planning on cutting yourself for a first aid kit? Are, are you planning on walking out and puncturing the tire in your car? No. Are you planning on ripping your cables out or draining your battery? On, are you planning on doing it? No, 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 no. You don't, you don't necessarily want to make those things happen, but you are prepared for them. Amen? Does that make sense? And I want you to understand, that's, if, if you're wise enough to do that, then understand how wise God is in preparing for us. God was not caught off guard by when the people of God sent. He wasn't caught by surprise when Israel drifted away. God could see what was going on, and here's the cool thing. God was already prepared for what they were going to do. Don't you love that about God? There is a, uh, there's a scripture in Revelation where it says that before the foundation of the world, the Lamb of God was slain. They described Jesus as this Lamb of God that was slain before the foundation of the world. Now, here's what I want you to think about. Jesus wasn't crucified for centuries after the creation of the world. Now, what in the world was it talking about? It was talking about the fact that when, when God created us, placed us in the garden, God did not want us to sin. He didn't want us to choose to walk away. He didn't want that to happen. But can I tell you something? God was fully prepared for it. He was ready. And, and you need to hear that. You know, God doesn't want disaster to happen to you. He doesn't want you to make bad decisions. God doesn't want other people to make bad decisions that are going to impact you. God doesn't necessarily want the bad things in life that happen. But here's what I want you to understand. I don't care what mess you're in. God is fully prepared for where you are today. Does that make sense? I, I, I love it in... Um, in the story of the Gospels, when we talk about um, Jesus and what happened to him, how Jesus was prepared. Do you remember the story where Jesus is telling his disciples, you know, he's about to be arrested. He said, you know, I'm going to be arrested. They're going to take me away. And you know what? All you guys are going to abandon me. Did the disciples believe it? No, of course not. In fact, Peter, the more brash and, and bold one of the group, said, you know, you, I, I can't believe it. In fact, let's look at that. Throw that up on the screen. I love how I love Peter. Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you, even to die with you. I love when you read all the Gospels. Peter, Peter also kind of refers to the others. He goes, even, even if all of these losers leave you. Kind of how he says it. Even if all these weak-o guys, you know, even if they, I'll never have. But Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. Read it with me, church. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. Did Jesus 
want Peter to fail him? No. Did Jesus cause Peter to fail him? No. Was Jesus prepared for Peter to fail him? Absolutely. And this morning, what I want you to understand is I I don't know where you are or how you even got to where you are. But this is what I can tell you. God was already there. He's prepared. Amen? Now, let me take that one step further, and this is huge. God doesn't give up on us. God doesn't give up on us. Um, I, I love how in this story, uh, how God makes it clear that even though here we are again, um, God makes it clear to the people, I'm not abandoning you. You know, when you read the Old Testament and you look at how God brought the people out of Egypt, when you, when you look at all that, he, he, he performs all of these miracles. He, he does all these plagues to Israel or to, to Egypt. And then he brings them to the, to the edge of the Red Sea and he parts the waters and he brings them to the other side and he gives them manna to eat. He gives them quail to eat and he provides water when there is. God does all of this stuff. And in spite of all these things that God does, time and time and time again, his people walk away. I mean, there are times, you know, when you're reading that, it says, and once again, they leave and you think, how many times will God put up with this? You know, is is there a point where God will say, you know, enough is enough? Well, sometimes even when we're ready to give up on us, God doesn't give up on us. I love what he says. So that scripture, this is from where we read earlier. He says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, what, what will happen? I will come to you. Say that again. I will come to you. Now, look at me. I want you to hear this loud and clear. Because one of the things that happens to us, especially when we mess up and, and the situation we're in is our fault, it's real easy to just wallow in that shame and go, I did this. I deserve this. You know, and, and sometimes it's easy to say, you know, if I feel that way about me, maybe God feels that way about me. And here's what I want you to understand. Even when you are ready to give up on you, God's not. And he never will. I, I, I love Romans 5, one of my favorite verses from the New Testament. Read it with me, church. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died. Us. I wrote this in my notes, and so I put, it, I put it on your outline. I just thought this was a great statement to remember. God's heart doesn't change towards us even when our hearts have changed toward him. Even when our hearts have changed toward him, God's heart never changes. There is uh, in the, uh, uh, the Gospels, or in Luke chapter 15, there's a great story uh, where Jesus tells this parable and he, he gives this illustration. He said, you know, there was a shepherd who had a hundred sheep, and yet one of them wandered off. And what did the shepherd do? He went and looked for it. Didn't give up on it. Didn't go, well, I got a hundred of them, or my, I got 99 more. My, you know, I can let that. He, he, he went after that. Then he, tells, then he says there was a woman who, who had some gold coins, and she loses one. And what did she do? 
She got down on her hands and knees and she took a, a lamp and she looked everywhere till she found it. Then he tells a story about a father who had two sons and this one of the sons went off on his own and did his own thing and had wild living and lost everything that he had. And when he came home and the Bible says and when the son was still a long way off and when the father saw him, what did the father do? He went running to the son. And when you read the stories over and over and over again, it gives you this incredible picture of a heart of a God who will never, ever give up on you, no matter where you are. In fact, you remember Peter, who we were talking about earlier? Big, bold, brash Peter, who, you know, says, I'll never fail you, no matter what everybody else does, Lord, I'll never leave you, I'll go to prison with you, and then, of course, we know that he's going to, but even, be, even before Peter nosedived into his failure, Jesus believed in him. I love this, throw that up on the passage up on the screen. Here's what Jesus said to Peter, he said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you, each of you, like wheat. I love this. But I have pleaded in prayer for you. Just, I want you to let that sink in for just a second. I have pleaded in prayer for you. Did Jesus know Peter was going to fail? Of course he did. But he pleaded in prayer for him. I love it. So that your faith should not fail. Look at this last sentence. And so when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. In fact, before, before Peter even failed, Jesus was reiterating to him his belief in him as a follower and a person able to lead. God, look at me, gang. God never, ever, ever gives up on you. Don't you give up on you. Amen? Let me give you another thought. Even in the midst of our mess, God is working towards a miracle. Even in the midst of our mess, God is working towards a miracle. A great passage in Philippians that Paul gives to the church here. Paul writes this verse from jail, but look at what he says. Read it with me. And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. And God is continuing that work and working toward the end, even, even when you're in the middle of the mess. This is so cool. When I was doing a, a study on the, the Jeremiah 29 this week, and one of the commentators caught something that I'd never seen before. He talks about how the, the, the word future that's translated here. And he says, God knows the plans that he has for you, plans to give you a hope and a future. The word, the Hebrew word that's used there is actually a word that means backwards or afterwards. In other words, what God was trying to convey was there, there, you can only see this, but I've got something that you can't see. How many of you have ever rowed a boat before? And when you're rowing a boat, if you can, if you can think of it, if you can think of it this way, um, when you're rowing a boat, you're rowing backwards. You're looking this way, but you're moving that way. And and the context of this verse, what God is saying is, this is all you can see, but here is where I'm taking you. 
I want you to just think about that for a second. You say, when we're in the middle of our mess, all we can see is the mess that we're in and how we got there, which is why we become so despairing. But while we're focusing on this, God is focusing on that. You see, even when Israel was caught in this mess, in captivity, what they didn't know was God had not only not abandoned them, and God was not only there with them in the mess, God was working already to get them out of the mess. You see, sometimes when we find ourselves in these things, what's one of the questions we ask? Where are you, God? I can answer that for you. He's working. He's working toward the miracle that gets you out. You know, I I love um, in this text of Scripture, when Jeremiah makes this proclamation to them, he tells them that they're, you know, you're going into captivity. And you remember what he says at the beginning? He said, you're going to be there for 70 years. In fact, if you read the whole stretch of scripture, what Jeremiah says is, you're going to be here a while. So, you know, go ahead and marry, have kids, find a house, make yourself comfortable. You're going to, you're going to be here for a little bit. But what he says is, after 70 years, you're going to come out. Now, human nature would tell you that all you got to do is put 10 or 20 years behind you and you, you forget what he said. And you become very hopeless and you become very despondent. But God didn't forget the promise that he made. And what Israel didn't know was all they saw was this King Nebuchadnezzar who they thought was a king over everything and was so powerful even they weren't, they couldn't stop him. But what they didn't know was God was already working to take care of King Nebuchadnezzar to get the people of God back. In fact, if you really want some cool study, look at how when you read all these prophets, when you go to Daniel and Daniel's prophecy where Daniel talks to King Nebuchadnezzar and he tells him how there's going to be a king come out of Persia that's going to topple him. And guess what? It happens. And his name was Cyrus. And you know what? Cyrus was God's instrument to fulfill his promise to the people of Israel. Here's what happens. Look look at it in Ezra uh, chapter 1, beginning verses 2 and 3. It says, thus Cyrus, the king of Persia, said, here's what he says. The good Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever there is among you, of all of his people, may his God be with him. Let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in. Jerusalem. Are you catching this? That long before the people of God were ever set free, God was already working toward that end. Now, you've got to hear this because here's what I know. There were some of you this last week, and whatever you were struggling with, you felt very alone. Some of you, I guarantee you, felt like God had abandoned you. That maybe God doesn't see you, or maybe God's not willing to help you. And what you need to know is God loves you more than you could possibly imagine. And he is already working for your deliverance. In the middle of our mess, God's already working on the miracle. Amen? You betcha. Let me give you one more. And this one's going to hurt just a little bit. God's plan is not so much about what we do but who we become. It's not so much about what we do, but who we become. 
one of the things as I was working on this this week that, that really hit me is when we think about God's plans for us, we tend to think about circumstances. Does God want me to take this job or that job? Does God want me to buy this house or that house? Does God want me to have this car or that car? Does God want me to take this trip or that trip? We, does God want me to marry this person or that person? We, we get real uh, kind of down into the weeds of we think God has this perfect path that we have to be on and that limits him to what he can do. And you need to understand our God is a lot bigger than that. Now, this, this is something that I think sometimes we forget, and I really want you to wrap your arms around it. God doesn't care nearly so much about the path that you take as he does about the person you become. God doesn't really care so much if you're a doctor or a dentist or an engineer or, or, or a guy who drives a truck. He really doesn't care so much about the vocational track that you choose. He does care a lot about what kind of person you are as a doctor or what kind of person you are as a dentist or what kind of person you are as a truck driver. You see, the character of who you are and the nature of God living within you, that's the plan that God has for you. God didn't care nearly so much as whether Israel lived here or there. He cared an awful lot about whether or not they were going to be his people or not. Does that make sense to you? When, when we think about God's plan, God's plan is really about shaping us into his image. I love how Paul frames this to the Corinthians. Throw that up on the screen. Read it with me, church. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed in to his glorious image. I, I love it. Though that, I put the statement again in my notes. It's on your outline. God doesn't have one perfect plan for us, but he does have one perfect purpose for us. What is that purpose? Say it again. To be like him. Look at me. Pastor Steve, can, can you tell me what God's plan is for my life? Yes, I can. God's plan is that each and every day you be shaped more and more into his image. He knows the plan he has for you, and that's his plan. Amen. One of the really cool, again, pieces in this text, the word plan that's used there, I know the plan that I have for you. Um, it's a it's a Hebrew word that is a word that means to, to invent or to create or to make new. In other words, God was speaking to a people who all they could see was disaster and captivity and, and all they could see was the darkness that they were in. And when God says, I know the plans, what he's saying is, I know the new things that I'm going to do among you. I know the newness that I'm going to bring out. I, I know what's going to happen in the midst of the darkness. It's the, it's the same context of, of, of Genesis 1 when it says that, that the, the world was dark and it was void. And God said, let there be light. 
And that's the same context of this, of, of this scripture as God is speaking to, to, the, to the Israelites in this captivity that they're in. And they had no hope. and They had no way of looking at the future. And God said, in the midst of what you're going through, let there be light. I know the light I have for you. I know the newness that I have for you. I know what I can do even in the midst of what you think is helpless and hopeless. And God can do that for you. You want a beautiful picture of that? Um, some of you have seen in the news over the last weeks the horrible, horrible fires that have happened in Australia that have swept across the land, ravaged the land, over half a billion wildlife destroyed in the midst of all of that. It's a devastating, devastating loss. But one of the things that happens in the midst of devastation is how new life can reemerge. Let me show you a picture. This was just in the news yesterday. You, you can see this ravaged area where the fires came through. And out of the ashes of the ground, look at the new plants that are now coming to life. God can take that which has been utterly destroyed and bring new life. Look at this next picture. These trees that have just been burnt to a crisp. And yet look at how in the midst of that scorched, burnt bark, God can bring new life, new beauty. And that same God who can do that there, he can do that for us. I have no idea the devastation that may be in your life. I have no idea the ashes that you may be sitting in today. But here's what I do know. This same God who was able to take for Israel the, the, the thing that the enemy used to hold him them in and take them in captivity, God took that which the enemy intended for evil and he redeemed it for good. And God can take your circumstances. No matter how you got there, God can reach into where you are. And in the midst of the ashes of your life, he can bring new life, a hope, and a future. Amen. I'm going to ask Chuck to go ahead and, and, and come on back. And I'm going to ask my prayer partners if they would go ahead and just take their place around the sanctuary if they would. And this morning, I just want to give you um, just a few moments just to lean into the Lord uh, in your own way. And I have no idea what you need God to do for you today. Some of you may be in the midst of circumstances you feel are hopeless today. And I want you to know it's not hopeless. Not as long as God sits on his throne. And I know some of you may be seeing, but, but Steve, I got myself there. Why in the world would God help me? I'm the one who made the decisions, and I'm the one who has brought about these horrible circumstances. I get that. But you have no idea how great the grace of God really is. Israel was there because of the choices they made. And even in spite of the fact that they had made these horrible choices time and time again, God reached out his hand of hope. And he will do the same for you. 
Some of you may find yourself in circumstances again that were created by someone else. Or some of you may find yourself in circumstances that are just, you know what, it's just life sometimes. And life sometimes, the bottom comes out from under us. God knows exactly where you are. And here's what I believe with all of my heart. God not only sees you, God loves you, and God is able to help you. Amen. And so this morning, I just invite you in your own way to just offer your own personal prayer to God. Invite him in to your circumstances. Invite him into your desert place that you find yourself. Invite God to come and and out of the ashes of where you are, invite him to say, Lord, could could you make something beautiful? Could you do something new? I I really need you right now. And you can pray that right where you are as Chuck leads us in that. You can just make it a personal time of worship and lean into God right there where you're on at the pew where you're at. Some of you may want to slip out and come. There's an altar on either side that you can kneel out if, kneel out if you want to just a moment with God by yourself. We have prayer partners in all four corners of the room. And these are people who would count it a privilege to pray with you. Maybe you're walking through a circumstance and you just need someone to pray with you and ask God's blessing over you as you walk through this. And while we sing this song, I invite you to just slip out from where you are and go to them and they'll be happy to, to pray that prayer with you. Uh, some of you may want to put it on your prayer card on, in the pews that uh, says, can we pray for you? And you may want that to be something that the staff prays for you about. And after the service, you can hang that on the prayer wall or during the song, you can get up and hang that on the prayer wall if you want. I don't care how you lean into God. Here's what I want you to know. God is here for you. You are not alone. He will never leave you or forsake you. Father, sometimes we find ourselves in circumstances that we have no idea how we're going to get out of. Like the people of Israel, we can be in captivity, bound by things, the chains that we can't seem to break, surrounded by circumstances that we can't overcome. But how thankful we are today that whether the circumstances were caused by our own poor decisions or the decisions of someone else or whether it's just the troubles that come our way sometimes in life, how thankful we are that you're a God who never leaves us on our own that you see exactly where we are, that your arm is able to reach right down to where we're at. And so, Father, today, I I pray that you would hear the cries of our hearts all around the sanctuary as we reach out to you, inviting you into our desolate places, inviting you into our captivity, inviting you into the ashes of the world that we find ourselves now in. And, Lord, we ask, would you do what you promised in Jeremiah 29, 11? Would you do something new? Would you create something fresh? What the enemy has meant for evil in our lives, would you redeem for good? Lord, your promise was you know the plans, the purposes that you have for us. (laughs) Plans not for evil, but for good. Plans to give us a future and a hope. And so, Lord, I pray today that all across this sanctuary that you would breathe hope into every single individual. Father, would you remind them today, you love them more than, you, than they could ever possibly imagine. You who came from heaven to earth to redeem our lives will not leave us now. 
God, frankly, we have no idea why you love us like you do. But this morning, we are so grateful that you do. Thank you for that love. Thank you for the purposes and plans that you have. Thank you for the way that you never, ever give up on us. In your precious name, we pray, and we give you thanks. And everyone said, amen. 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 